right. Well, let's take our Bibles this evening for our evening Bible study together, and let's go to Romans. We'll start there. And so two places this evening, put your finger, or start rather, in Romans chapter 12. And then if you want to, put your finger in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 26, all right? And we'll start in Romans 12, then we'll finish up in 1 Samuel 26. But as many of you know, most of you know by now, we are studying a, new, a series of study on Sunday evenings, and we've entitled that series, Things That Just Do Not Make Sense. Uh, we know that we live in a world where things around us just does not make complete sense. And maybe you've uh, seen something this past week, and you say, man, that right there would be a good illustration for a pastor's sermon on things that don't make sense. And maybe you want to share something like that. Of course, context matters, all right? But maybe something don't make sense? No? Anybody? How about this one? Um, you're, who are you pointing to, Miss Wanda? You're pointing to Eddie. Okay. <laughs> Eddie, I think it makes perfect sense. I, re- I really do. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's funny. Well, I tell you what, if nobody's picking on you, Eddie, I tell you, something must be wrong. But that's all right. No. But uh, but I have found out another thing that makes sense to me. You may love this, but I'm not a fan. Um, Cranberry sauce? Anybody love it? You love it. You love it. Maybe we just need to go ahead and have an altar call now. I don't know. But anyway, I'm sorry. That's not my, it's not my thing. This don't make sense to me, you know. But, uh, but anyway, we know we live in a world and a, and a culture of things that just do not make, do not make, make sense. And uh, as we study our Bibles, we can come across phrases and principles and verses. And we look at them and uh, we read them. We try to study them. But we scratch our head and we say, you know, it just, just doesn't make a ton of sense. And things like this come to mind when I think of that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus says this, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And this just doesn't make a whole lot of sense in our natural mind to pray for those that hate us. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to bless those that curse us, meaning talk good about those that talk bad about you. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to do these things, but yet the principle and command and instruction is still sure and it's there to do just that. How about this one in Mark chapter 10, verse 43 through 44? But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be your servant. Again, in our world today, they would teach you if you want to be the boss, you want to be chief, you need to step on people, crawl over top of people, not serve people. That's what they would teach us today. And so in our natural mind, listen, this will not make a whole lot of sense. But it's these types of phrases and and verses and principles that we look at the very beginning, we scratch our head and say, you know, it don't make a lot of sense. But as we do a little bit more digging, a little bit more uh, comparing Scripture with Scripture, we understand it makes perfect sense. And God knows exactly what He's saying and exactly what He's talking about, as He always does. And so sometimes when we look at them, though, at at the onset and say, you know, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And there's another one I'd like for us to consider this evening, and it's found in Romans chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 17 through 21, but uh, at the end of verse 21, we'll find this phrase, overcome evil with good. And again, our natural mind, that does not make a lot of sense, but let's consider it this evening, and let's look at our Bibles, Romans chapter 12, verse number 17. The Bible says, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. 
Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray again. Our Father, we thank you for the word of God. We know it's true, we know it's right, but sometimes it's hard. Hard to follow the instruction, hard to wrap our minds around the principles, but Lord, help us, help us to apply this one to our life today, to truly be people who overcome evil with good. Help us be obedient believers for the glory of God, for thy name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's really quite a principle that the Lord is teaching us, really, and as the Bible instructs us here, of overcoming evil with good. Again, like I said, in our natural mind, this does not make sense because in our natural mind and our natural reaction to someone uh, causing evil to us is we want to fight fire with fire. We want to fight evil with evil. We want to avenge ourselves and get revenge against those that hurt us. How many know what I'm talking about? A few sinners. Okay, good. Just making sure you're with me. All right. But we want to fight fire with fire. We want, to, we want to get even. We want to get our revenge. We want our pound of flesh kind of thing. So in our natural mind, our natural reaction, when someone hurts us, we want to punish that individual for the wrong they have done and for the wrong they have caused us. So they hurt us, we hurt them back. They make us suffer, we want them to suffer. It's almost like um, having um, kids at home. And, uh, you know, one of your, usually the youngest, uh, reaches back and just for no reason just slaps the oldest. What's the oldest do? Reaches back, slaps the youngest. And the parents come in and say, what in the world are you doing? Well, they hit me first. Okay, yeah, anyway. Fire with fire, getting even with even, you know, getting your revenge. That's what our natural response is. That's what we want to do. You cause me pain, I want you to endure pain, pain as well. But really when you boil it down... When it comes to getting even or getting, repaying evil for evil, we don't want that individual to suffer the same amount of pain. If we're honest with ourselves, we want them to suffer more. We want them to endure more pain. We want them to hurt more. And when you pause to think about that for a minute, that mindset of, well, you hurt me, but I want you to hurt more, that mindset is kind of mm, sadistic. <laughs> and our hearts truly... Our hearts really know no boundary. The depths of the darkness of our hearts know no boundary. So in our natural mind, our natural response, when it comes to uh, someone treating us wrong or treating us with evil, our natural response is to get even and exact revenge. But here, the Bible teaches us to overcome evil, not with evil, but rather with good. God instructs us from His Word that our response as born-again believers should be opposite of our natural inclination to seek revenge. And humanly speaking, this is hard. Very difficult. And uh, in our own selves, it's absolutely impossible. In our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own self, it's impossible. But not with God. Be reminded that with God, all things are possible. Because it's with God that He can give us the strength. He can give us the wisdom. He can give us the grace return good for evil. And as we consider this subject, there's many people that we can look to and from the Word of God that is a great example or a good example of, uh, of this principle of repaying good for evil. 
And we can look at characters in Scripture such as Joseph. I mean, it was Joseph, after all, that was horrendously treated by his brothers, but he didn't repay that evil when he had the chance. Instead, he repaid good. We can look at Hannah, and she did not repay evil against her adversary, but rather good. We can look at Moses, who didn't repay the evil gossip of the individuals that he led and loved or their disobedience, but rather he responded good. We can look at Daniel, who didn't repay the evil against, against him by the other leaders, but instead he responded in good. We can see the Apostle Paul, who didn't repay the evil done against him by the many that hated him. Or we can even look at the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Enough said right there. But I like what Peter said about the Lord. As he's writing his first epistle in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 23, the Bible says, <clears throat> For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye would follow his steps, who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Here it is, listen. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Jesus did that. Why? Leaving us, as Peter said, an example. And of course, there's many others we can look in Scripture and and find this principle of returning good for evil. But the one I'd like to consider this, this evening for the rest of the time we're together is this man, none other than King David, King David himself. Now, we know a lot about David, right? Uh, someone tell me, what, you, what do you know about David? What comes to mind when you think of David? Someone tell me. Goliath, Goliath absolutely. Everybody knows about Goliath. He was a mighty warrior. He was a champion in Israel. And Goliath is what set him apart and set him as a champion in Israel. What else comes to mind? Bathsheba. So you, you have the best of his days and the worst of his days. That's what, mainly, that's what a lot of times what people are known for, their best days and their worst days. Of course, Bathsheba had been an awful time in his life when he committed sin, adultery, and eventually had her own husband killed in the hot, hottest part of the battle. What else comes to mind about David? Someone tell me. Running from, from Absalom, his own son. Absolutely. On the run a lot. He did a lot in 1 Samuel from Saul, his not-so-loving father-in-law. What else comes to mind? Yes, he was absolutely a shepherd, a young man taking care of his, of his father's sheep. What else comes to mind? He was a man after God's own heart. A man who loved the Lord. Was he perfect? Absolutely not. You see, what sets him apart from many, many folks when they are um, confronted with their sin is he didn't try to hide it or cover up. You know what he did? He confessed it. He got it right with God. That's what set him apart. Yes, he messed up all oh, horrendously. It cost him dearly. The consequences are not eradicated or erased, but thank God our sin before God is. But the consequences were not. What else comes to mind? How about the sweet psalmist of Israel? I mean, the psalms that we enjoy today as we read them are penned by this man, King David. He was also a very talented musician. He was the personal musician to King Saul. And if you want to be the personal musician to the king, that means you had to be pretty good. And no doubt he was. Understand David was a very talented man who had a heart for God. Was he perfect? By no, by no means whatsoever. But we still look at his life and see this principle of repaying good for the evil that he endured. We can see that in his life. We can find that in several occasions. But I would like to hone in on this one in 1 Samuel 26. So go there with me, all right? 1 Samuel 26. And we'll look at this uh, chapter today together. As we see this principle laid out as an example here in the life of King David. 
And at this particular moment in, in David's life, understand, we'll see it in a minute, but understand David had the perfect opportunity to get even with his enemy. The perfect opportunity to have his revenge. The perfect opportunity to return evil for the evil that was given to him. Perfect opportunity. But rather, what we'll see is he repaid good for it all. He did not return evil for evil. So let's look at, look at it together. Verse number 1, chapter 26 of 1 Samuel, verse number 1. And as Ziphites came unto Saul and to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hill of Hekelah, which is before Jeshmon? The Ziphites here are basically tattling on David, telling Saul, Hey, look, David's down here in our town. He's out here in, in, the, in the wilderness of, of the of Ziphites. Why don't you come down and take care of them? They were just a bunch of tattlers. But anyway, just yellow belly. Okay, anyway, verse number 2. Then Saul rose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. That's his uh, seal team six, the chosen soldiers he took with him. Verse number three. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hikalah, which is before Jeshmeon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness. And he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched, and David beheld the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, the captain of his host, and Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched round about him. So get it in your mind, all right, this scene here. Uh, Saul has come to chase down David, and they're pitching their tent here in the wilderness of Ziph, trying to find David. And the, uh, being the king, Saul is in the middle of the army, being surrounded by his troops, and Abner, his uh, second in command, his best, uh, his, his best warrior by his side, or at least in eye shot, all right? And so try to picture all that in mind, and, but it's about to, time to turn in. It's about time to take, take a little rest. Verse number, uh, verse number five, <clears throat> note verse number six. Then answered David and said to Abimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zerai, brother to Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench, and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster, at right his side. But Abner said to the people, lay round about him. Now, of course, this is before they went to sleep. All right, he told them to lay about and protect your king. Verse number 8. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee. With a spear, even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. Uh, the, there's a few responses here that I would like to um, consider when it comes to being given evil circumstances in your life. And the first response is from this guy, Abishai. All right? So take note of this. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. We see Abishai's revengeful response. All right? We see his revengeful response. Now, as we consider Abishai here in his response, it may be good to note some facts uh, about him. They may be some interest to you, and it helps to aid the picture we have of Abishai. But take note, all right? It is very possible, we believe it's very possible, that Abishai at this moment was a, uh, a young man. We would believe that uh, he could very well be in his uh, later teens or early, early 20s. And we get this thought because of his response. And his response was one that was very zealous in this text. Uh, look again at verse number 6. The Bible says this. You'll see that phrase when it says, 
When David's saying, who's going to go with me down to, down to the camp? Who's going to follow me down to the camp of Saul? And around these 3,000 chosen soldiers, this SEAL Team 6, who's going with me? Well, there's one man who said, I will go. And it was Abishai. He said, I will go down with thee. That last phrase in verse number 6. He said, I will go. I will go with thee. He immediately said it without hesitation. I will go down with thee. So it is believed that he has some youthful zeal about him. We believe he has some readiness about him. He had some fight about him. And Abishai was not going to, be, not going to wait till he was voluntold. Rather, he was quick to volunteer. All right? I like that kind of spirit, by the way. But that's his spirit. He was ready. Let's do this thing. I ain't waiting. Count me in, coach. Put me in. That was his spirit. He was ready. And so we believe by this, this response, in verse number 6, we see it's one of a, a zealous type of spirit. Again, in verse number 8, when David and Abishai had snuck into the camp, and they both came to the sleeping Saul there, Abishai said, I pray thee. Hey, uncle, please, man, I beg you, I pray thee, let me smite Saul to the ground at once. <laughs> He wanted to do it quick. Let me do it now. Let, let me do it. Please, 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 please. Let me do it. 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 You know. <laughs> let me do it at once. I believe Abishai would be a very young man at this, at this time. He had that youthful zeal. But then take note that Abishai, not only was he a young man, but we believe that Abishai at this moment, he also was the nephew, the nephew to King David. And being a part of the family... There's no doubt he loved his uncle very much. He had been with his uncle for these difficult days that his uncle has been facing, days of running, days of hiding, days of fighting. And so no doubt Abishai has seen the side of his uncle that many did not get to see. He got to witness the tears, the heartbreak, the discouragement, the depression. He's got to witness the, uh, the fears even that uh, David has encountered. All these emotions that nobody will get to see unless you're close to that leader. Abishai has got to see his uncle go through these, through these times. So Abishai with a youthful, zealous spirit, coupled with that hurting heart for his uncle, Abishai had enough of this. And he was ready to get his revenge against Saul, to avenge his uncle and for the hurt that Saul has caused his uncle, he was ready to get his revenge. He said at once, let me do this. Uncle, I pray thee, please let me kill this man for you. He was ready. But as I look at Abishai in our text here, do you know why he had that uh, response of revenge so quick at his fingertips and on his tongue? Do you know why he had such a vengeful type of spirit? Do you know why he was ready to return evil for evil? Here's why I'll tell you. Because Abishai's focus was completely off. You see, Abishai, his focus was on the very one who hurt him, on the very one who hurt his uncle, and not on the Lord. Look at verse number 8. Look at verse number 8 with me, all right? Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy in thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear, even, the, even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. Uh, did you notice how many times Abishai referenced God in that verse? If you didn't, I'll tell you, it was once. Just one time. 
One time he referenced God in this, in this verse. But do you know how many times he referenced Saul? Three times. In one verse. All in one verse he referenced God once, but in three, three, uh, three times in this verse he referenced Saul. His focus was off. Look at it again. Verse number 8, Then Abishai, then said Abishai to David, God had delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear, even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. His focus was off. And it caused him to have a vengeful, a revengeful type of attitude and spirit. Listen, when your focus, when our focus is off, when it's on the hurt, when our focus is on the hurt that we feel or on the person who hurt us, if that is what consumes us, then I promise you, I promise you, your response will always be revenge. It will always be, I'm going to repay evil with evil. And rather, not good. This was Abishai's response, and he was consumed with the hurt he was feeling for his uncle. There's another response that we need to consider this evening, and it's King David's response. So number two, see this. See David's reliant response. Look at verse number nine. And David said to Abishai, Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, Furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or, this, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed, but I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is at his bolster, and a cruise of water, and let us go. I don't know about you, but as I look at this response of David, it really is an amazing response to hold back this youthful Abishai from taking care of the enemy. To tell him, no, stand down. To tell him, no, just stay back. It's humbling and convicting to me to see this response coming from David. You say, well, why is that amazing? Why is this so humbling? Why, why is this so convicting? After all, he's a man of God's own heart. I mean, shouldn't this be the response of a man like that? Well, yes, but understand something. Though he was a man of God's own heart, he was still a man. And he struggles just like you and I struggle. Because understand at this moment and this time, during David's life, David has been running for his life for many years. He has had to live in the woods, in the wilderness. Here he's in the wilderness of Ziph. He's had to live in the caves. He's had to be away from his family. He has, he's had to be away from his home. He's enduring relentless and troublesome times, day in and day out. He even said at one time he was but a step away from death. He never knew when it come his time to die. It could be the next day. He had no clue. That's how he lived day to day. Never know if he would die or not. Day after day, year after year on a run for his, for his life to now. It would seem as you come to this moment here in the wilderness of Ziph and all this host of the, of the army, of these military mighty men here, of Saul's soldiers, they're all asleep. And David snuck in, just him and Amishai, right to the very side where Saul was sleeping. 
And he could just, at this very moment, take care of all of his troubles. At this very moment, he could take that spear, or rather, allow Abishai to take that spear and stick it into Saul and nail him to the ground and end all of his troubles and take care of his enemy. In our natural mind, in our natural reaction, it would seem like this right here. Oh, David, what a perfect opportunity. And this right here is a no-brainer. David, you don't have to do it. The blood won't be on your hands, man. Let Abishai do it. Let him take care of Saul. Let him do it. But listen, David was having none of that. He was not going to respond that way. He was not going to respond with evil. He was not going to respond with revenge. Rather, he was going to rely on the Lord himself. Look again at verse number 9. And as we do, I want you to take note, circle them, highlight them, underline them, do something. But take note how many times David referenced the Lord in these verses. Verse number 9. And David said to Abishai, destroy him not. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is at his bolster and cruise of water and let us go. Five times in those verses, David referenced and takes note of and highlights not the hurt, not the enemy, but the Lord. Understand David knew he didn't have to take matters into his own hands when it comes to those who have done him evil. He knew that God would take care of the situation. He knew that God would take care of this horrendous nightmare that he has been in day in and day out. He knew God would take care of it all. He knew even, he even believed and knew that God would take care of his enemy. And by the way, God did. If you go to the end of this book, and in 1 Samuel, we'll read in a moment, but get a little ahead of myself, but in 1 Samuel 31, you will see in verses 1 through 4 that Saul, his life did come to an end on the battlefield, just as David said, when he's putting his trust in the Lord, he's talking to Abishai saying, or perhaps he'll die on the battlefield. Well, that happened. That happened. What I'm trying to highlight about David's response is simply this. He was relying upon the Lord. He had a reliant response when it came to this man who did him such evil. Who did him such evil. He's going to rely upon the Lord in this very difficult, dark day of his, of his life. Let me ask you a question. When it comes to these times of life, when those that have done you harm and done you hurt and done you evil, do you trust the Lord in those times? Do you trust the Lord with those enemies? Do you trust the Lord with the injustice that has happened to you? Do you trust the Lord with all of that? Do you trust the Lord with your grief and pain? Do you trust Him? I want you to know you can. You can trust the Lord. You can give it all to Him. You don't have to take matters into your own hands. You don't have to plan your revenge. You can give it all. Give it all to God. You can always trust Him. We'll mark that down as fireworks. I don't know what that was. <laughs> Everybody looking over there. We might as well just look too. Okay, we'll time out from the message. Everybody take a gander. I don't see anything either. All right. So, point number three. Point number three. Not only do we see Abishai's revengeful, revengeful spirit or attitude, and not only do we see David's reliant response, 
But I want to see this response. I want to see Saul's regretful response. Again, as we come to verses 12 all the way down through verse number 20, David has taken the spear, or rather Abishai has, taken the spear and a cruise of water from the side of Saul. And they've retreated to a safe distance on a hillside and they call out to Saul, uh, really Abner. And uh, David lets Abner know, hey, look, I've taken your, your king's spear. I've taken the cruise of water. Letting you know I could have actually taken his life. He lets him know all of that. And Saul is hearing these, these words come from the lips of David. And here's what Saul says. Here's his response in this moment. Verse number 21. Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool. Underline that phrase. I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Behold, the king's spear, and let one of your young men come over and fetch it. The Lord render to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered thee into my hand today, but I will not stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. And behold, as thy life was much set by this day in mine eyes, so let my life be much set by in the eyes of the Lord. And let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt both do great things, and also shalt thou still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. But Saul said here in this moment, his response was this, I have played the fool. And when, he, when I read this, here's what I get from that. I get from that phrase, from the voice of Saul, this was much regret here. He had a regretful response. He knew that David was right, that Saul was wrong. And this right here humbled Saul at the correct response of David. It humbled this man. The response that David had humbled this man, returning good for the evil that Saul had given to him so many times it humbled, it humbled me, humbled him. And so I believe that Saul had much regret in his life. And I can't help but think, let's turn over a few pages to, to chapter 31, 1 Samuel 31, all right? I can't help but think that in just a few short chapters from 26 to 31 here, that uh, as Paul, or I'm sorry, as Saul was coming to the end of his life, dying on the battlefield, I can't help but wonder what went through his mind. Was it regret? Look at it with me, verse number 1. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain at Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him. He was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. Saul himself killed his own self on the battlefield that day when he knew there was no getting out of this battle alive. He took his own life. But I can't help but think and wonder what went through the mind of Saul as he was about to die we went through the mind of, of, of Saul, even as he was there with his sons. I wonder, was it, was it regret? I wonder if he thought back to chapter 15 when he wished he'd obeyed the Lord and destroyed all the Amalekites. Everything that God told him to do. I, I wonder if he wished he'd just simply obeyed God and listened to that aged prophet Samuel and obeyed the Lord. Maybe if he did, his life would not be this way. 
I don't know about you, but when it comes to the end of my life, when it comes to my time to go see Jesus, I don't want to become the end of my life being full of regrets. I don't want that in my life. But if our, if our lives are lived paying evil for evil, if our lives are lived getting revenge upon those that have done us harm, if our lives are lived plotting the next uh, vengeance against those that have hurt us, that's one sure way to end up with a life of regret. I promise you. So there are different responses here in 1 Samuel 26. We see the response of Abishai. We see the response of David in regretful response. That of Saul. But the main two, one, two response there is Abishai and David. In those particular, these, these were in the same instance. And they had a common enemy. And they had endured the same kind of hurt. Uh, they have had the same kind of evil done to them. Because again, Abishai was away from his family too. He was on a run for his life too. Same kind of evil. But between Abishai and David, completely, completely two different responses when it comes to the evil that was given to them. Why? Why? Here's what I want you to take home with you and put in your pocket. All right? Because one looked at the hurt and the hurter and it caused him to want revenge. The other looked to God and it caused him to do what was right. It caused him to return good for the evil that was given to him because he kept his eyes upon the Lord. Because his focus was upon God. That's why. So, if you uh, want to live out this principle that's given to us when we first read in Romans chapter 12, of overcome evil with good, the only way to do it is not in yourself. It's not looking to your own wisdom. It's not looking to your own strength or, or your own way. But it's looking to the Lord to give you the grace the wisdom and strength to overcome evil with, with good. It's the, only, it's the only way to do it. You can trust God with those terrible things that have been done to you. You can trust God. Because here's what the Bible says. I want to remind you again. Romans 12, 19. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. God will take care of it all. You can trust Him with every part of your life, even the evil that comes against you, the grave difficulties that come against you. You can trust 